Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to Family is the Answer, an adoption and foster care podcast. I'm Karina Kuna Henson, Managing Director for Rohe Foundation. Together with Podcast Network Asia, we're here to share resources to inform you and stories to inspire you about adoption and foster care. Hope you enjoy listening. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Family is the Answer podcast by Rohe Foundation. My name is Krina. I hope you're all doing well. So glad that you can join us for another episode. I am here to talk about a topic which is, I suppose you can say very close to my heart, but something that that weighs very heavily on my heart. And if you clicked on this particular episode, it means you're probably curious about what the realities are behind this issue. Today, we're talking about child trafficking in the Philippines and how that's connected with illegal adoption. I know it's really alarming when you read about babies being sold. And sometimes you think that's an exaggeration. Sometimes you wonder if, is it really what they say it is, that babies are being sold? Yes, it is. And the issue is real. It's alarming. It's urgent. It requires a response. And there are many organizations who are already responding to this issue. But we at Rohe Foundation have found that even though our heart is really to focus more on you know, legal adoption and equipping families to pursue their adoption journey, that we cannot ignore this issue simply because of how closely connected it is to the orphan crisis. That actually, if we chose to ignore this side of the issue, the selling of babies, the trafficking of children, illegal adoption, if we chose to ignore all of that, we would fail at orphan prevention which is something we, we've decided we don't want to do. And so so that has shaped a lot of how Rohe Foundation operates. And we thought today we just wanted to share with you a little bit of a background on that issue because it should matter to everybody. Everybody should care because it's happening right here in the nation of the Philippines. And in a lot of other third world nations, it looks very similar to the way it does here in the Philippines. And so we hope that this is informative for you. We hope that this makes you a little bit uncomfortable with the issue and that causes you to to lean in and to see how we might be able to respond in a way that's helpful. But I can't do this on my own. So I have invited one of my very, very good friends, Samantha Kibot. We call her Sam for short. She is a licensed social worker. She actually serves as the director for our orphan prevention programs at Rohe Foundation. And what she does is she counsels and gives a lot of technical support to our pregnant women in crisis. She works very closely with them. She also works closely with our families who have questions about adoption. In fact, she is so instrumental in the shaping of what soon will be our child placing agency. And so a lot of this is much credit to her just being an extremely intelligent individual. She graduated cum laude from the University of the Philippines in Diliman. Prior to joining Rohe, she worked at a children's home. And I believe that her background, if I'm not mistaken, Sam might correct me later, but she actually started in engineering and ended up in social work. And that just speaks so much about her passion for people. She cared so much about 
children and about serving those who were vulnerable and in need that, you know, halfway through college, she was like, you know, I need to throw my life into this. And and I believe this is where I'm going to gain the most amount of purpose and be able to pursue really something of purpose. So she joined our team in 2020 and it was I have to say the hugest blessing of the lockdown for us. She could not have come at a better time. She single-handedly takes on all of our case management when it comes to orphan prevention programs. And I think just her training has been so instrumental at shaping the work that we do. I couldn't, I couldn't brag about her enough. Really, every meeting that we show up to, I make it a point to let people know that without her, we would drown. <laughs> and without her, Rohe Foundation would simply not look the way it does today. And I'm so grateful. I, I just love her dearly. She's a very good friend of mine. So without any further ado, let's welcome Sam Kibot, the Director for Orphan Prevention Services at Rohe Foundation. Hi, Hi Sam. Hi. Hey, <laughs> Sam, you are so sweet. And I love how you know you came at just the right time. So much has happened with the pandemic and the way that our work looks. But when you came on board, when you came on board to Rohe Foundation, it was, I think, very early in COVID-19, the COVID-19 situation. And that was when we were bracing ourselves because we knew that because of the lockdown, a lot of adoption inquiries were going to shift online. And we've actually found that, you know, child trafficking has become a growing issue in the Philippines, even in the midst of the pandemic. And so here, pandemic aside, can you just give us an idea of what does child trafficking look like in the Philippines? How bad is it? And how does it show up? Before the pandemic and the rise of the internet, child trafficking happens in communities. So there are people that uh, the community knows that facilitates the selling of children. Like you just go to this person if you want to have your child sold. It's very common. And I think it's a open secret in communities in situations that are that make them desperate. That's one of the solutions that they think of. There are lots of people who take advantage of people who are in poverty. So people who traffic in order to get children for sexual trafficking or for labor. It happens in the slums, in the provinces. It's very common and we don't really know how many children are trafficked this way, but people know that it's happening. Yeah, thank you for painting that picture for us because poverty-stricken areas are really the most vulnerable when it comes to child trafficking and being misinformed about adoption, right? So when you're telling us that, you know, when it happens in the community pre-pandemic and, you know, before most people had access to the internet, when it would happen at the community level, there would be people within those communities taking advantage of those who were in desperate situations and convincing them that actually selling their baby was okay. So it was actually out of ignorance, right? Or do people really mean to sell their babies? Are they doing that because, you know, they want to cause harm to the children? What's the intention there? They know, these mothers know that what they are doing are wrong, but there's no other choice for them if they don't do it, if they don't exchange their baby for commodities. In their mind, they would not survive with the addition of another child that they cannot feed. So it's an act of desperation for them. 
it's the only thing that they know that they could do. So they don't know other options. So it's the only thing that they turn to. Yeah, um, they're desperate. And I think what happens when they are in desperate situations is that babies become treated like commodities. So actually there's like, you know, there's this illegal baby trade in the Philippines. And like you mentioned, it's this big open secret because it does happen. And it happens in sometimes right in the city. I remember when I was living in Makati, which is the central business district, I was living there and we were getting news of women who had been trying to sell their babies literally down the street from where I was living. And I couldn't believe that on the same street I was on, advocating for adoption, passionate about rescuing children, that there were babies being sold. And I was so shocked. And so how exactly does it happen now? So if it's not in the communities, and we're talking about in the cities and where people have access to the internet and they're online looking for somebody to respond to their desperate cry for help. How how does child trafficking show up? How does the selling of babies look? Well, I would also like to add that it also happens in hospitals and lying clinics. So sometimes I've heard of stories that midwives or doctors or nurses, they facilitate the transaction between the mother and the other party. So it's an open secret. If you ask around hospitals, it happens a lot, especially for those mothers who cannot pay for their child. So they, in an act of desperation, they ask help from the people there so that they can pay their hospitalization, that they could go out of the hospital. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all heard a story like that, right? Like, hey, I know somebody who knows someone who works at a hospital and they have a baby. Do you know anybody who wants to adopt this baby? And that in itself is not actually considered child trafficking. What makes it child trafficking is when there is money involved and when there's an exchange of funds and when money is taken in exchange for for example, a child, right? And somebody tries to profit off this child, it becomes child trafficking and also very dangerous because I always say once money is involved, you question the intention of the person who is receiving the money, right? Why are they receiving the money? What's the purpose? Why do they need it? I do understand that some, some of the pregnant women in crisis that we meet are in desperate situations. But can we go back first to... Today, most people do have access to online Facebook groups. And there are all of these groups that say, you know, legal adoption, something, something. I came across a group that said something like, adopt a beautiful baby girl from the Philippines, which was very alarming to me. Sounded fishy to me. But when I clicked in that group and I wanted to see a little bit more about that group, I was shocked by the number of members that it had and the amount of activity that was taking place on that group. So can you give us a little bit of insight, Sam, into what's happening in those groups? How does it work? And why do people need to be careful when it comes to interacting with groups like that? So with the rise of the internet, I think, and social media, I think this illegal practice is easier to propagate. So it's easy to just search for keywords like adoption, and then uh, you'll see a group like Krina said that, facilitates the illegal adoption of children. So in these groups, 
usually what they do is the mother posts, I am offering this baby for adoption. I cannot take care of the child. And in exchange for the child, they have these demands. So these demands vary. So sometimes they ask for just food and shelter in exchange for the baby. Sometimes they ask for money. So it ranges from 20,000 to 50,000. Sometimes the money is for their hospitalization, for them giving birth. But it's really tricky and it is wrong because under our law, it's, it's considered as trafficking. And also in these groups, people are also posting, looking for babies to adopt. So that is dangerous because the mothers who are in the group that's looking for people to adopt their child, they don't really know this person. So it's easy to set up a dummy account. We don't know if the people who post us, people who want to adopt are just really traffickers looking for children that they could exploit. Hi, everyone. I'm Edric. And this is Joy. Please do check out Family Unboxed. Join us as we talk about the fun stuff, the highs, but also the challenges and the controversial stuff as we try to change the world one family at a time. Only here on Podcast Network Asia. That is the scariest part about this is when you're dealing with somebody online or even dealing with somebody that you don't know who offers you a child in exchange for money or compensation, chances are you're dealing with a third party, right? Somebody that you, you know, you question the intent of that person. We could even call them like a dealer. And I've heard some very alarming stories and, and I'll share this one story, which may or may not be applicable to the Philippines. I don't know if this is true in the Philippines. This is a story that I heard from another Southeast Asian country where they said that they had baby rental facilities where there was a house at the border of these two Southeast Asian countries where child traffickers would, well, they would buy babies off of ignorant women who pregnant women and young mothers who didn't know a lot about the dangers. They were just desperate. They were just hungry. They just needed some money. And they said, I can't raise my child. Let me sell my baby to you instead. And these child traffickers managed to convince these mothers and all of these babies would end up in a baby rental facility where abusers, pimps, and various syndicates could rent babies from them and in turn rent them out to consumers of sexual content. And what was happening was because of the sexual abuse that was taking place on the babies, the lifespan of each child, typically young girls, but not not just girls, not just baby girls, but most of the time baby girls, was four years. They would only live four years, which was why the demand for more babies was increasing because these babies were only living four years. These children were only living four years. And I was talking to the director of an NGO at that time who was aware of what was happening. And I was trembling in my seat when he was sharing this with me. And 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 I, I broke down because the gravity of that was so heavy on my heart. And I have not heard of a story like that in the Philippines, not personally, but I do know that the issue is growing and that there are dealers out there who, like you mentioned, Sam, you know, 
try to facilitate these transactions. And sometimes you don't even know what their intentions really are. But the likelihood of sometimes these babies being bought off pregnant women in desperate situations, they, it's like they're primed, right? Like you prime this mom into thinking when you give birth, oh, you already have five children. There's no way you could take one more. This is usually what happens, right? There's no way you could handle another child. And so when you give birth, I'll buy that baby off of you for, like you said, 15, 20,000 pesos. And this mom says, wow, what a blessing. Now my child will live and you're going to take care, maybe possibly take care of my child, right? And and then I'll be able to feed the other five children, which I have, which you've already brainwashed me into thinking there's no way I could support anyway. And so that's the reality. And it's so scary because of also the rise of the online sexual exploitation of children. If you guys want to know more about OSEC, I invite you to to check out IJM's content on that. But Sam, I was hoping we could also dive into that because now we're talking a little bit about pregnant women in crisis, right? And based on your encounters with them, because you do that in our orphan prevention programs, you work with them and they're so vulnerable. Can you share with us some stories? What's going on in their mind and why is it so important to help these pregnant women in crisis? so that we can manage the situation so it doesn't reach the point of their babies being sold or exploited or even illegally adopted. All right. So the pregnant women in crisis or the PWIC, there are women who are in crisis situations. So they are in a place that they are very prone to desperate decisions. So it's either they are not supported by their partners, the father of the child or their family. So they don't know what to do. So pregnancy is a very vulnerable time. So imagine, just imagine how hard it is for these mothers to be pregnant without anyone to lean on especially in this situation while there is a pandemic. So most of them, they don't have a job because of the pandemic. So they turn to us asking for help with their pregnancy. So most of them, they approach us asking how they could, they could have their child adopted. So we talk to them, ask them about their circumstances, and then counsel them. So we help them throughout their pregnancy, we counsel them. And with the help that we give them, most of them keep their babies. So I could say that they considered adoption before because they don't have anything or anyone to ask support from. But if they are supported, they could continue taking care of their child. Lots of mothers are experiencing the situations, but they don't have anyone. So since they don't have anyone, they don't have anyone who could give them the right information, they turn to the child traffickers or the illegal adoption groups online or offline. And I think that's why I find our program so successful. I think credit to your leadership, Sam, in that area. It's that initially these moms come in and find us because they've actually been looking online on Facebook groups for a place to, for somebody to help them either adopt their baby, buy their baby off them, right? And what happens is they come across our page, which plays in the same space. It's called Tulong Nana. If anybody's curious about that, you can check us out. And we do our best to educate them about the dangers of trafficking. And we promise to guide them in the process of legal adoption should they wish to surrender their child for adoption. And what's so amazing to me is that from a place of sometimes having attempted abortion, sometimes having already coordinated with or already communicated with a potential buyer for their baby, 
that what happens is through our program and through the counseling, through the support, through just the help that they receive and the information that they receive from the Tulungke Nenai program, which translates to help for moms, they're able to gain the confidence needed to keep their babies. And I think that's so amazing. It must be so fulfilling to find out that someone who first approached you, Sam, for, you know, like probably desperate saying, I need to give up my baby. I need to surrender my baby for adoption. And at the end of, you know, when they do give birth and they do see their baby, hold their baby in their arms, they realize that actually I can do it. It's very fulfilling. And I'm very happy for the mothers because most of them have low self-esteem. They don't know what to do. But after the assistance that we give, they find themselves capable of taking care of their child. They find themselves confident enough to look for work in order to support their children. And then they rise above their previous situations. Right. So I want to talk now a little bit about how we can address this problem. And we've given people an idea of what the illegal baby trade looks like. What are the dangers of selling babies? Meaning what are the babies actually vulnerable to and what are the risks there? But Sam, what's your, what are your thoughts on addressing the problem in terms of, you know, if I did want to adopt. So this also affects families who want to adopt because we've heard families, right, who have been taken advantage of, who come to us and say, could you really, could you help us in the adoption process? We uh, met somebody on Facebook and they took, they took money from me. They asked me to send them, you know, 10,000, 15,000 pesos. And I never heard from them again. There are these scammers online as well. And so how can we address this problem on the family side? What is the best way if someone did want to adopt a baby so that they don't fall victim to an illegal adoption or a potential child trafficking My first advice for families that want to adopt is don't go online. Don't go to Facebook if you want to adopt. So if you really want to adopt, go to the PSWD, go to your local welfare development office, or go to licensed child placing agencies who could process your adoption for you. So it's less risk for you if you do that. And and I mean, I think if, if they need help, we actually have consults that guide people in that. You know, there was something that the deputy executive director of the Interagency Council Against Trafficking from DOJ or the Department of Justice, Yvette Coronel, she said that, you know, when you actually go through the process of going through DSWD or you go through a licensed child placing agency, it's that step by step process, which establishes the good intention of the adopter, that you really want the child and you really want the child to have the child as your own, that you're able to actually prove it along the way. You're willing to go through the difficult process. You're willing to go through all the steps required, even though it might be a bit more complex than obviously talking to a dealer on Facebook, but it's safer and it proves your good intentions towards the child. And as, as somebody who wants to really adopt for the right reasons. So yeah, I mean, I thought that was so insightful because a lot of times we want to find the easiest, fastest way to adopt. But I think more important than the easiest and the fastest is the safest, safest for the family, safest for the child, that which ensures that legal process is followed and that the safety of the child is never compromised. And if you're wondering if this even applies to you, I just want to paint a picture for how big this issue is. That if you look at just the slums in Metro Manila, six out of 10 women who are from our slum areas and from the impoverished areas of our, our city 
have either sold their child or know somebody who has sold a baby. Six out of 10. This is a huge number. And, and I mean, I would even encourage you to just have conversations with people and, and ask them if this is true and verify that information. I found it to actually be true. And whether it was intentional or not, and sometimes nothing bad really happened, meaning the safety of the child wasn't compromised. But by definition, child trafficking and the exchange of money for a child, the prevalence of it is, is growing. It's growing. It's a growing concern. And it's putting a lot of people at risk. So maybe Sam, if there are people who are listening and they want to get more information, they want to understand this issue a little bit more. They want to know how they can help pregnant women who are in crisis situations, or maybe they want to adopt. And they're like, how do I adopt without becoming a victim to a potential dealer? What can they do? And could you just lead them to the right places? So this issue, in order to solve it, it's multifaceted. And for people who are listening, you don't have to do the grand big things like catching a child trafficker. You could always start small, but these small things have big impact. So first is you could read our article about how to help a pregnant woman in crisis. So this article is applicable for everybody. There are tips there on how you could support them. Also, if you ever encounter a woman who, or you know some somebody who wants to have their child adopted, you could always refer them to our Facebook page, which Krina mentioned, our Tulonghenanay page. So just refer them to our page, and when they message us, uh, we will try our best to help them. Also, for interested families and couples, I mentioned before that don't go to Facebook if you want to adopt, but you could go to our website, rohifoundation.org. So you could sign up for our adoption councils there. So we will help you through your adoption journey, guide you and point out the right places for you to go, for you to start your adoption journey. All right. That's great. Thank you so much, Sam, for just shedding light on this topic, which I, like I mentioned is, is urgent and requires our attention. And I hope that you know, as you listen to this podcast, I do hope that it would bother you a little bit enough for you to want to find out more about this issue, to check out the article that Sam mentioned and to maybe just be more aware. I think the first step is really awareness. It's understanding the issue. So when you do come across somebody who might know someone or, you know, somebody who needs help or somebody who might know somebody who needs help, you'll be able to direct them to our Tulunke Nanai page. This is really how a lot of our beneficiaries, our clients have, have come to meet us. We've met them because they've been referred by either their employers or friends of their employers and well-meaning people who just wanted to reach out and make sure that they get the support that they need in their time of crisis. And so we hope that this was insightful for you. We do encourage you to find out more about this. There are some really great documentaries out there, some articles that have been published online. I know there's one by Atham Aralio, which talks about babies for sale. That's something which was done by GMA and very insightful, very bothersome, but it really helps put things in perspective. There's some articles by Channel News Asia about you know, people who wanted to sell their children, but did it just because they needed the money. We've also referenced another article by Zora.medium.com, uh, which talks about the inside the underground baby trade in the Philippines. And these are just some resources. So if you've been listening to us and you're on fire because you realize that, you know, you need to respond, you need to know more, I invite you to check out those resources. Happy to lead you to that. 
as well as our resources on rohefoundation.org. So that's it for today. I hope you learned something and I hope that together we'll be able to respond to the orphan crisis in our nation, not just through orphan care, meaning adoption and fostering and loving the orphans and caring for those that are already in child caring institutions, but also through orphan prevention. And this is one way that we do that. So thanks so much for joining me. I hope to catch you on our next episode. That was the Family is the Answer podcast by Rohe Foundation and powered by Podcast Network Asia. If you're interested to know more about adoption and foster care, visit our website at rohefoundation.org where you can find articles, videos, and other resources. You can also find us on social media. We're Rohe Foundation on Instagram and Facebook. Again, thanks for listening and I hope to catch you at our next episode. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. <laughs>